With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. smell it can you smell it it's in the air it's grilling time today they're firing up the grills at natural living center for the 38th anniversary customer appreciation week we bit farms is grilling sausage outside on the front sidewalk in front of natural living center specials throughout the store oh yes there's another grill there's a grill for the no meat folks uh, <clears throat> i don't know why anyone would grill something that wasn't meat, but it's there and it'll be great. Also, there's uh, specials throughout the store, all kinds of stuff going on all day long, today, tomorrow, and the next day. And you have just about time to get there. If you're listening to this, it's Saturday morning. You have just time to get there. Follow your nose to 209 Longview Drive in Bangor, Natural Living Center. Need directions? Give them a call at the Natural Living Center, 990-2646 on Longview Drive in Bangor. They're firing up their grills, and you can smell it from here. Also, County Co-op is your buying club for Roostick County. County Co-op services everyone from Holton to Caribou and all the little towns in between. Give them a call. 207-694-0721. County Co-op, your buying club for Aroostook County. Stay tuned for the, the Northern Maine Landman on the Constitutional Radio Network, the conscience of Maine. Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network. The Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME 780 AM in Monticello, WBCQ 94.7 in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. You're hearing this uh, on Saturday, May 2nd, 2015. And what a weekend it is. 
mostly sunny, high near 64 today, Saturday. Southwest wind, 3 to 5 miles an hour. Saturday night, supposed to be partly cloudy with a low around 40. And the fact that it's partly cloudy will probably prevent a frost. Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 66. Calm wind. And pick up out of the southwest to 5 miles an hour in the afternoon. Sunday night, partly cloudy with a low around 44. And then Monday, Monday, mostly sunny with a high near 73. A light southwest wind increasing to 5 to 10 miles an hour in the morning. That's Monday. High near 73. National Weather uh, Center out of Caribou has a map up on their website. It shows a high of 75 in Madawaska and 75 in Millinocket. And going all the way down to Portland, it's going to be in the 70s. It's It's a broad strip running right down through Maine away from the coast. On the coast... Water temperature is still about 42. You get a breeze off the ocean. Uh, we're going to have have uh, convection there. Going to get sea breezes, and it's going to be chilly on the coast. Going to want a jacket, but you get just a couple of miles in from the coast, and it's going to be toasty warm. The gardens are going to start drying up. People starting to put their rototillers on the tractors, and and uh, I made the statement on on the internet yesterday. And I said, May and June have been canceled. We're going to go right straight to July this year. And uh, on Monday, just for the heck of it, I'm going to walk on snow. There are patches of snow in the woods. And I've got to take pictures. I've got uh, real estate listings. And I've got to update the pictures. I took some listings during the winter. took my pictures on snowshoes. That's not attractive to people, so I'm going around taking pictures. I'm going to go on a little expedition this weekend with the wife. There are places that I can't go. I can't drive to, and it's too far to walk because of mud time. And there are roads that run east and west, and they're the last roads where the frost thaws under the road. And... There's going to be a place where even the end of May, there's going to be a wet spot that's just soupy. People are going to drive four miles in the road, and they come to that spot, whoop, down they go, and they get stuck. That's why we have winches. I've got a winch that'll go on either end of the truck. It mounts into a two-inch receiver hitch, like most, most hitches, but I can pull from either end of the truck. I can take my winch off go around the other end, it's heavy. You don't want to be in muck up to your knees doing this. But uh, you pick up the winch, you go around, stick it in the other end of the truck, plug it into a big heavy-duty plug, similar to what goes in a clothes dryer or something, and uh, run the winch from the other end of the truck. Because I learned at a young age you cannot push with a winch. Think about that for a minute. You know, if your winch is on the wrong end of the truck, you're just going to pull yourself deeper into the what they call the old time is called a sow hole. This is you step in there, you're going to get soused. So, just bear be aware that the ice is off the lakes. Most of the lakes, there's still ice. They had 30 inches of ice up on Chamberlain, so it's not going to go off right away. 
But most of the big lakes have opened up, and uh, Moosehead, will, you know, is still iced up. But a lot of the medium-sized lakes, the salmon lakes, are starting to open up. Fishing's going to be good, ice out. I mean, you get out in the middle of a lake when it's 72 degrees on the shoreline, and and it's not windy, it's cold right there because that water is still cold. That water is 33, 34 degrees. You don't want to slip and fall in. It's just like going through the ice. So be careful in that regard. But uh, spring is finally springing. The gas price is $2.43 a gallon in Portland with two forty nine last week. So it's uh, it's down in Portland. Gas price is two dollars and eighty cents in Gray. Now Gray is not that far from Portland. That's forty three, no, about forty cents higher. And in Gray it was two seventy three last week. So it's jumped seven cents in Gray, and it's gone down six cents in Portland. You know, such is the economics of running a gas station. I don't put the prices on the main pike on here because they're. The state charges a businessman an arm and a leg just to have a have his gas pumps on the main turnpike, and you got a captive audience. I mean, if somebody doesn't plan far enough ahead and they're going to need gas on the main pike, you can get in and out quickly. You just swing off the pike, pull in there, and uh, before you can buy a cup cup of coffee, your gas tank is full, and they want you to move out of there. It's, it's expensive though. You don't want to get stuck pulling a trailer. Low mileage, eight miles to the gallon, pulling a great big camper trailer and need to pull in and get gas on the main pike. Because it's uh, it's expensive. On diesel, diesel price is two seventy five in Green, Maine. Green, Maine is down southwest of Augusta a little bit. Diesel price is three sixty nine in Scarborough. That's a big jump. The diesel price in Green is lower than the gas price in gray. Now, it's a rare thing to see the diesel price lower than the gas price, but it's a fact. Today, in the state of Maine, you can buy diesel cheaper than you can buy gas in some locations. So it does pay to shop around. It used to be that diesel ran about 40 cents less than gas. Now, it's easier to make diesel, but the environmentalists have meddled with the economic system that we live in once again and uh, it happened a while a while back but they said look you got to have lower sulfur in the diesel so in order to take the diesel out of petroleum yeah excuse me in order to take the sulfur out of petroleum you've got to go through a process that physically takes the sulfur out and they up in Canada I used to used to work in Canada, and you go down to Trans Canada, and you go by the oil refineries near Toronto, and there's another one near Quebec City, Montreal, and you see these big piles, yellow piles, and think, what in the world is that stuff? It's sulfur. Sulfur is a stable, combustible material. It also acts as a lubricant. Sulfur is actually a metal, technically, if you look at the at the chart. Of elements and sulfur is technically a metal it lubricates your valves in an engine so a little bit of sulfur 
in gasoline and a little bit of sulfur in diesel is good for it. They put lead in gasoline. They used to. They used to put lead in gasoline because it's good for the for the engine. It's, it provides better fuel mileage. It reduces knocking in the engine, which is pre-combustion, where the fuel, instead of burning at an at a established rate, the fuel will explode in your in your cylinder, and it's it'll pound a hole in the top of your cylinders if you if you run low octane fuel in a high compression engine, it will it will uh, destroy the engine eventually. So that's why we had lead in there, and sulfur is good for diesel engines for the same reason. Well, now the environmentalists have said you got to run low sulfur diesel. You got to change all the engines made after a certain date. And what what uh, we react to these ridiculous environmental rules, and I don't say all environmental rules are ridiculous, but we react to their their rules uh, in response to global warming, which doesn't exist. We have climate change. You know, the climate does vary a little bit over time. It's caused by the sun. Global cooling is caused by the sun. Global warming is caused by the sun. And nothing we do in the state of Maine, California, or any other place is going to change what the sun does. There's absolutely no human effect on the sun. Now, certain little pockets of places where there are oil refineries and lots of uh, combustible fuels of all kinds being consumed, the carbon dioxide rate goes up. And when it rains through carbon dioxide, you get carbonic acid. That's what's in Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola, Mountain Dew, and all soft drinks that are carbonated. The mixture of carbon dioxide and water creates carbonic acid. And we drink it. It's not bad for us. We exhale carbon dioxide. It's a good thing. And carbon dioxide is plant food. And carbon dioxide is absorbed by trees, and the trees give off oxygen. And this is the way the good Lord made it. I'm going to go down to the Northeast Logging Show, and the Maine Woods Coalition is going to have a booth down there. And I'm going to be at the booth for three hours as a volunteer. They're going to give me a T-shirt. And... Uh, and a hat, Maine Woods Coalition, no park for Maine. We don't want a national park up here. We're not able to take care of the national parks we've got. They do a poor job of managing the land, and it's harmful to the populations that surround them. Now, there's a few people who can make a buck on the people coming and going from the national park. But overall... Long-term stable jobs are reduced. We've got a park in Maine that was given to us by Governor Percival Baxter, and his his goal was for the for Maine to have a patch of woods where people can go and enjoy themselves and look at the woods and contemplate the absolute. Baxter State Park has a total of 23 full-time jobs year-round. That's it. They hire a bunch of people in the summertime to to haul the trash and uh, 
maintain the campgrounds and trim the brush and stuff that needs to be done in the summertime. Then they lay them off right after Labor Day. There's summer jobs. A lot of teachers do that. Teachers, uh, you know, they're all done in June, except for the, the department heads and the administrative staff. And they work through, somewhat through the summer. But the, basically, they're all, you know, they're off for the summer. They can do what they want. And they put some work into preparation for the next year and start learn up, study up on the new requirements that, that occur in education. And uh, summer's a wonderful thing. And a lot of people get into the teaching perception. <laughs> I got into teaching for three reasons, June, July, and August. And that's the time off. They get every summer off, and it's a good op- good occupation to choose for that purpose. You know, nurses, on the other hand, get into medicine for a few reasons. It pays very well for a registered nurse. They can, you know, hospitals try to keep the the labor rate down, but it's a lot of work becoming a registered nurse, and there are various professions and Specialties you can get into as a registered nurse, but primary care in the hospital, uh, you administer the medications, and then they've got LPNs, licensed practical nurses, which is a declining occupation. And then you've got CNAs. CNAs are relatively low-paying occupation. They're the ones that change the linens and tend to bed bedpans and assist patients in washing, cleaning, dressing. All those things need to be done, and it's commendable work. But they don't make, uh, barely make, excuse me, they barely make a living wage. So people choose occupations based on on their, their own personal needs and choices. But getting back to the environmentalists, uh, you know, they want to establish a national park in northern Maine. It would be very bad for northern Maine. As I said, they can't manage what they've got now. And with 93 million people unemployed in our nation, there's not a lot of cash flow flowing into the government because those 93 people, 93 million people aren't paying any taxes. You might get some guy that... Shovel snow, blow snow, or <clears throat> mows lawns, or does odd jobs, splits wood for people, cash. And you can't begrudge the guy for <clears throat> making a few dollars on the side. He's not going to pay any income tax on that, and he's not going to pay his Obama, Obamacare bill either. All the alien criminals get free Obamacare. They're here, $33 million alien criminals, and they're flying them in by jet. Obama is hiring corporate jets, private jet planes, to fly plane loads of kids up to the U.S. They land, they split them up, they put them on buses, and they take them to target areas. They establish the kids there. Then the kids can send home say, we're here, come on up. The parents come, and the grandparents and the aunts and uncles and the cousins. You wind up with a situation like we had on Bartlett Street in Lewiston, where 
an ISIS fighter with his multiple wives was living in Maine. He had two wives in Lewiston, three wives in Minnesota. We're paying for these people. ISIS fighter. Now, this particular ISIS fighter that lived on Bartlett Street in Lewiston died. He was killed in Syria in battle fighting for ISIS. Now, Syria is ruled by a a vicious dictator named Assad. He's a bad guy. There are lots of bad guys in the Muslim world. Some of them are in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia paid for the 17 terrorists who flew the planes into the World Trade Center. 17 of the 19 were Saudis. And the recruiter that put that all together is in Gitmo. He ought to just stay in Gitmo or some similar place forever until he dies of natural causes or whatever. Guess what? They're planning on letting this guy go from Gitmo. Guess what he's going to do when he gets out? The same thing he was doing before he went in. This is not hard to figure out. Good grief. country is declining in a handbasket. Try not to use profanity in my daily life. I try not to use profanity on the radio. After 140-plus shows, I have not slipped yet. <laughs> but I... Uh, If I do use profanity, I save it for really special occasions when it's well-deserved. It kind of startles people because I don't don't normally do that. It's some, some sort of enjoyment when you kind of let go once in a while. Crude oil dropped a couple of weeks ago, and when it did, uh, it dropped $3 in one day when the Saudis stopped bombing Yemen. Now, over the Middle East, you've got Shias and you've got Sunnis. They're like Protestants and Catholics, you know. They're Christians. And they battled it out for 80 years in Northern Ireland. <clears throat> and they're mad at each other because, you know, some people were Protestants and some people were Catholics. Well, it's like that in the Muslim world. Some people are Sunnis and some people are Saudis. And if you live in any given country in the Middle East, you're one or the other. That's it. You know, and they, one of them believes in that child Lester named Muhammad, and one of Muhammad's sons died, and then the one of the one of the sects split off, and they followed one of his nephews instead of the other the other bunch, and the the Muslim world split into Sunnis. And and what are they called? Shias. So uh, I don't try to keep track of which is which. You know, in Northern Ireland, <clears throat> about ninety-nine percent of the people claim to be Christians. And the Protestant Catholics are split into separate areas and they're fighting each other for years and years. Doesn't really help out Christianity as a whole. And the Muslim situation that they've created doesn't have help Islam as a whole. In the Quran, 
Islam is supposed to be a kind uh, religion. And if a wanderer, a traveler, a lone wanderer, wanders into their camp because it's the only place there's any water at a wadi or, or an oasis, they're welcomed as a guest. And they make sure the guy's got water and a little bit of food and he's comfortable and he goes on his way. That's the, that's the way it's supposed to be. And they have a great deal of respect for the, the uh, tribesmen that still wander the desert with their camels in Saudi Arabia and various other Muslim nations in the Middle East. And the nomads are respected. The nomads can get in and see the king anytime they want. And they said, look, we've got a problem here with these these people are crowding us and they're giving us a hard time, and the king will straighten it out. I mean, they let these nomads live the way they want to live, which is the old way. And these nomads are not going to wage jihad against anybody. They just wander the desert, go to their oases, and live the way they always lived. And it's like a lot of First Nation people you know, around the world. The Aborigines in Australia, are still have tribes that live the old way. And they move out into the new world and they move back into their own, their own historical, cultural setting. First Nation peoples all over the world do that. You've got in the Philippines. I was in the Philippines. I went to, I went to uh, Sear School. Survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Where you learn to, when you're out of options, you've got to make it on your own. If you're down in, in a primitive area, well, in the midst of a hostile force, you can survive. A lot of people do. A lot of people walk out. And a lot of pilots and crews shot down in Vietnam made it out because they knew how to escape and how to evade the enemy. Uh, evasion is, is step one. You've got to evade the enemy. And you've got to survive. And uh, if you are captured, you've got to resist the enemy to the best of your ability. And do not cooperate with them. And just, you know, there are ways that you can, you can evade and resist the enemy. Be evasive in your in your speech and conduct, and then you can escape. You know, we only had a couple of people, very few people, escaped from the from the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese. Very few, but it can be done. We had a lot of people escaped in World War II. The Germans were not as efficient with the pilots. They they there was still a certain amount of chivalry left between the pilots on the out that flew for the Allies and the pilots that flew for the Germans. The pilot gets shot down and parachutes into the middle of a battle. Pretty good chance that the enemy's going to kill him because they're really irritated <laughs> with the helicopter crews or the fighters or the attack bombers and and. Uh, you know, it's a bad thing. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't want to wander off into my own experiences <laughs> at this point today. I've mentioned a few times. And there's still lots of stories. Uh, the firearm bills. There are eight firearm bills in Augusta that are being brought up before the the appropriate committee today. And all eight are going to be voted on by the committee. The majority, if it's unanimous, ought to pass. It's pretty much certain that it will go through the legislature with both parties' support, be acted on very quickly without much debate, and the governor will probably sign it. And there are some bills that that ought to go and and be, be signed. There's one bill down there that would allow constitutional carry in the state of Maine. Now, in the state of Maine, you can strap on a 357 Magnum on your hip and walk around all day and uh, loaded as long as you're not, you haven't been a judged uh, mental patient or if you don't have a felony in your background. Getting speeding tickets doesn't doesn't mean that you can't carry a firearm in Maine. There's a few other misdemeanors. But, uh, you know, if you've been a violent person or if you're under a court order, a protection order, that you cannot approach anybody because you may do harm to them, well, you're not going to get a, a handgun permit. We've got a bill that says, look, a person ought to be able to carry in Maine if he's already able to carry. He shouldn't have to have a concealed firearms permit. And... You know, if you're out there in the woods and, uh, you know, you've been, there's coyotes in the area or one thing or another, you know, you ought to have the ability to defend yourself and carry a firearm. But if you put a rain jacket on and it hangs down over the firearm, now you're breaking the law. It makes you a criminal to have a loaded firearm concealed on your person without a permit in the state of Maine. They said, look, we ought to do away with the rain jacket rule and let everybody that carries, to carry now, continue to carry, even if they've got a rain jacket on. Or a parka that hangs down over it. And just a little bitty nubbin of the, of the bottom of the holster showing, you know, is that a holster or is that a cell phone case that you wear on your hip, you know? What difference does it make? You know, we ought to let these people carry. At the same time, uh, we ought to have reciprocity with other states. And there's another that discusses reciprocity. So that, you know, I can carry in Maine, I can carry in Vermont, but I can't carry in New Hampshire because we don't have a reciprocity agreement with New Hampshire. We should. We should carry, be able to carry in Maine, New Hampshire, or Vermont. Now, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey are as much chance of getting a permit in those states as you do in in Czechoslovakia. I mean, it's just they're just strange people, and they're in our country, and they're legally here. But they're strange people. 
They have no regard for human rights and no regard for our U.S. Constitution. And you got Chris Christie down there. And uh, they've had a string of, of really progressive governors down there in New Jersey. I was stationed there from 63 to 66. I was stationed at Lakehurst, New Jersey. And I went in, got rolled into Lakehurst and, and uh, got unpacked. I was living in the bachelor officer's quarters because I was a bachelor when I got there and married when I left. But I was in the BOQ, and I went down to the local town office, and I wanted to apply for a pistol permit. He said, you can't have one. Said, what do you mean you can't have one? This law says I can have one. Well, yeah, but the chief won't give you one. So I went to the chief. I said, look, I'd like to have a pistol permit. Own a pistol. I'd like to have one. I'd like to be able to use it. And used to go out and shoot rats in the dump. And uh, it's a good good for public health service. You, can't, you can reduce the number of, of rats or at least prevent it from, you know, when they reach a certain population, they leave the dump and they go out in the surrounding area. So if you can keep the population within reasonable limits, you know, it's it's a public service. It also makes you an accurate shooter. So he, uh, he said, nope, not going to give you one. Why is that? He says, I don't want sailors having guns. I was a naval officer flying a million-dollar helicopter over his house, but he doesn't want me to have a pistol. We carried pistols in a shoulder holster in the helicopter because... We had tracers in the pistols. So if you went down at night, or if you're even in the daytime and you, they didn't find you until night, you know, when you hear a helicopter, you can fire a tracer into the air. So well, that tracer is, is how you find somebody. If you, We didn't have portable radios that we carried on a reasonable basis like we did in Vietnam. So being New Jersey uh, wasn't as violent as, as Vietnam yet. So... You know, it's a basic human right that we be able to have a firearm. And it says so. The Second Amendment says we have a right to bear arms. And we could form militias if we want to. And there are, you know, there were three militias in Maine. There's only one that I'm active that I know of at the moment. You don't cause any trouble. They're a good resource during things like the ice storm of 98. Angus King was governor, and trees came down across the wires, and there was no power to WVOM. Charlie Horn and, and his buddy were disc jockeys. They had the morning show from 6 to 9 in the morning. Charlie Horn was on the radio for pretty near 24 hours, and they brought in volunteers. People could be on the radio, and I I wasn't involved in that in 98. Now I've got my own show. But Charlie Horn and, and various other people that joined Charlie over the years ran that show 24 hours a day on WVOM. It was a great public service. And people uh, needed to get medications from pharmacies. And they'd get a note from the, the person that needed it, go to the pharmacy, and they'd go in and deliver the medical medicine to, I mean, if somebody needs insulin, they need insulin. And various other meds are very important. So 
snowmobiles were delivering the medicines to people. The Grange Hall in in uh, Enfield, Maine, opened up. I think it's called the Ambedasset Grange or something like that. They opened up, and they were open 24 hours a day, and they had a soup kitchen. They had soup, and they had... Uh, they had groceries and consumables stuff. And people would bring in uh, supplies for the soup. They'd bring in a can of corn, they'd bring a can of green beans, a can of stewed tomatoes, potatoes, carrots, uh, beef, pork, moose meat, venison. No fish ever got in there. The fish was a separate. They had chowder over the side. But they had this great big kettle. And after two weeks, they called it Miracle Soup because the kettle never went empty. The level would get down about halfway, and people would come in, and they'd put in a few spices and say, well, this needs a little of that. And uh, it was a, it was a, a wonderful soup. <laughs> and snowmobiles took propane tanks, two 100-pound propane tanks in a toboggan, up to the top of Pastum Cake Mountain. Now, getting up there during the ice storm, the only way you're going to get up there was with a Yamaha VK540 with, with carbide studs and carbide runners. And coming back down was was uh, dicey, to say the least. And they'd come, they'd come down the mountain, get more propane to bring it up there. It was a 100,000-watt radio station. Voice of Maine. And they cut it back to 50,000 watts. They can do that. Because it takes a lot more power to create 100,000 watts than it does 50,000 watts. So they cut down the, the fuel usage in half. And they were bringing the propane bottles up and bringing the empties back down. And switching bottles. You know, we had uh, people involved in that. And I, we had people that knew about the radio station and knew how to do things. And there was a guy named Hal Welts from Lee who ran the operation and uh, kept that station on the air. He also was the uh, maintenance man and technical service guy for the Christian radio station, 88.5 out of Bangor. And he worked for the state for a while, maintaining their radio towers. And on Pasadumkeg Mountain, uh, it was a big radio tower. And it got loaded with ice, and it collapsed. Now, you had guy wires going off to the side. And the sheer weight of the ice exceeded the capacity of the tower, and the bottom of the tower crushed. You may have seen beer cans that, that uh, somebody will take, and they'll set a beer can on the ground and stamp on it. It just crushes flat into a cylinder. Well, this tower came down. And what our best. I mean, there's pieces of bent-up steel all over the place and cables the radio station stayed on the air with a little tower and the fuel was brought up there and WVOM stayed on the air what they didn't understand didn't realize was that the people hauling the stuff up the fuel up there bringing the empties back down to be refilled for the main militia well they mentioned it on the radio Angus King was all upset that the main militia was keeping WVOM on the on the air, and there weren't very many stations on the air in 98 during the ice storm. 
And he said, look, we've got to do something. So they, he activated the National Guard, and they started bringing great big sling loads of propane up, setting them on the ground and picking up sling loads of empties, which made it a lot more efficient because you didn't have to go up there during the night. <laughs> but they stayed on the air, but when Angus King realized he, he didn't want the militia to get any credit for this, Angus King far left progressive. I mean, he's left of the Democrats way out there with that lady from Massachusetts that uh, thinks she's an Indian, blonde, blue-eyed Indian lady. Uh, she's interested in early in Native American cultures and stuff. Warren, yeah, Granny Warren. Can't think of her first name. Doesn't make any difference. She's the far left wants her to to run for president, and she said no. So they got Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is a socialist from Vermont. And they're going to run him as president. He's probably he's going to have to sign up as a as a Democrat, you know, to get in the Democrat primary. So he go in the town office wherever he lives over there in Vermont. He'll sign up as a Democrat again. He quit the Democrat Party because they were so conservative. He's way out there, well, all in as a as a leftist. He's going to run. And he'll, the press will love him. Donald Sussman is selling the Portland Press Herald, and uh, he bought it just to promote his his wife, Shelley Pringy Pingree, so she could run for Congress and win. And you've got the biggest paper in the state, devoted 100% all day, every day, to promoting your candidacy. You got a pretty good chance of winning. So she won, and she won again. Probably when she gets done, her daughter will run. And that's the way it'll be down there in Portland. But uh, he's selling it. He put a pile of money into it, and he's been successful. I mean, she is in Congress, and and uh, he's married to the lady. So he's got a great deal of influence. Her corporate jet rolls and lands there in Portland, and they roll out the red carpet. I mean, got it on video. I mean, they roll out the red carpet, and she gets off the plane, and she goes into the terminal. That's the way it is. Yeah, Bush is running for president. What is it? Jose Elias Bush is his name. They use his initials, Jeb. Jeb sounds like a good country nickname for somebody, and they call him Jeb. He's got $100 million that have been donated to him, and he hasn't even declared to be president yet. And he's not going to declare for a while. Because as soon as he declares, he's going to start reporting the money he's got and who's giving it to him. Bill and Hillary Clinton are running. You know, as they said last time, you know, two for the price of one. Well, the price is $2 billion. They have taken in $2 billion from foreign donors all over the world. Red China, Muslim countries where all the oil is. billion that they've got to buy the presidency. And they're trying to keep it quiet. You know, she gave an interview for one of these left-wing television channels. She says, well, you know, Bill and I didn't have anything when we arrived in Washington, and and we didn't have any money when we left. And people lead, I mean, people that don't 
know anything except watching Dancing with the Stars and American Idol on TV, ABC, CBS, and NBC, believe this stuff. The Clinton Foundation, which is Bill, Hillary, and Chelsea, who now works full-time for the foundation, they've got $2 billion sitting in the bank. The Clinton Foundation takes in a pile of money, and less than 10% of what they take in gets gets uh, distributed to charities and environmental groups. Of course, the environmentalists want another national park in Maine. See, this comes full circle. They want another national park in Maine. And the Maine Woods Coalition is going to have a booth at the Northeast Logging Expo in Bangor. I'm going to be there with my Maine Woods Coalition hat, my Maine Woods Coalition T-shirt. If it's not too cold, I may have to put the T-shirt on over the top of my other shirt. But it'll be big enough. I enjoy that show. You get to talk to a lot of loggers, real people, people that actually work, good people. Uh, they don't want to have a national park up here because when you get a national park nobody gets to cut the wood I've got a map of Maine in 1990 and it showed all the industrial forests in Maine little patches who owned it and it had one master map of it that showed all of the industrial forests and there's a red spot you know, the Baxter Park, and there's a few other state state land where they got the uh, the Bud Levitt state state land and all kinds of land for Maine's future parcels. That the, the people in Maine they say, well, you know, they people in Maine have seen the the photographs of clear cuts like the one that was printed in the Portland Press-Herald and, and Bangor Daily News, and Lewiston Sun-Journal, Boston Globe, Boston Herald, Philadelphia Inquirer, all the way down to the Atlanta Constitution, excuse me, Atlanta Constitution. And they, they published these photographs that were given to them as a press release by the environmental industry. Newspaper people love press releases. They don't have to do any research. They just... Swallow it whole. Uh, you don't even have to chew on it. It goes down like pablum and yogurt. You know, it's 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 easily swallowed. And they swallow it. And they print this stuff. Even if it's full of lies, they still print it. The photographs that appeared on the front page was a big clear cut in Siberia. Now, much of Siberia is flat. Not very much of Maine is flat. Anybody that knows anything about the Maine woods knows that that vast clear cut was not a photograph that was taken in Maine because there's no place in Maine like that. I have a commercial pilot's license. I fly over Maine. There's not a lot of Maine that's dead flat. Now, down by the down by the Blueberry Barrens in Hancock County in Washington County, there's gently rolling land. And it's relatively flat. It was under the water. 
a long time ago. And you go up to up to uh, Lake up there, Southern Hunk Lake, up just west. In little part of it's in Baxter Park, and part of it's outside the park. Southern Hunk Lake is great trout fishing. You walk the shore of Southern Hunk Lake with a fly rod, and you just look down. You see the rocks, and there's scallop shells in the rocks. Big scallop shells in the rocks. Okay. Now, I don't get too wrapped up in evolution. But in order for that scallop shell to be in the rock, the scallop had to be there when the rock was created around it. The scallop died, silt got deposited on it, and it got compressed under great force, heated and cooled a few times, and there's that scallop shell embedded in the rock. And good Lord was overlooking all of that. I don't try to date it. It's beyond my capacity. But there are scallop shells in the rock about a 1,000 feet above sea level. Up there, it's Southern Hunk Lake. And all over the world, there's fossils. Dinosaur fossils out in, the, out in Wyoming and all kinds of stuff. We're still learning a lot about the Earth here and and how it works. But we're learning more and more about it. I mean, mankind is learning more and more. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that this vast clear cut in Siberia was not taken in Maine. It was a photograph that the environmentalists plagiarized out of a Siberian forestry magazine. They took the as a big clear cut, we'll print that one. And they did. And the penthouse environmentalists down in Washington and Philadelphia and Atlanta looked at that, and they said, wow, look at that. There's no more forest in Maine. It's gone. And they promote this idea, and they're trying to save the last great place, which is a cutover clear cut owned by Roxanne Quimby. They can't answer the questions that people ask in the public. They had a public meeting in Ashland last week. And because... Roxanne's son, I'll think of his name in a minute, was up there. He's a pastry chef from, from Seattle. They brought him back to be the spokesman because people were tired of listening to Roxanne. So she kind of stepped into the background. Lucas, Lucas Sinclair. So Lucas was up there in Ashland, and they briefed him about what he was supposed to say to make people like a national park, and and they didn't like it. So the Bangor Daily News had reporters up there to watch this whole thing, and they didn't like the way it turned out, so they didn't print a single word of fact, and you would never know from reading the Bangor Daily News that there was a public forum regarding a national park in Ashland, Maine. See, if it didn't appear in the newspaper or appear on TV, it didn't happen. But it did happen. They just don't tell about it. So I tell about it. Tell the truth. It's not hard to do. It's really hard to make up lies. Try to remember which lies you told. It's not hard to tell the truth, especially if you lived it. 
I throw in some of my personal experiences from time to time because people tell me that they enjoy them. And uh, a guy listened to the show last week, and he he wants us to do a, a Liberty Seed down in the Augusta area. He thinks he can fill the room. And what do we charge? We don't charge anything. We do this because it's important. 240 years ago yesterday, uh, the word arrived in in southern Virginia that of the events of Lexington and Concord that occurred on April 19th, 1775. Well, it's 240 years ago. And it took until then, you know, from the 19th to the 30th, uh, for the for the information to get down there. It was 11 days. And uh, the word was in southern Virginia. And then it moved out west, you know, into the mountains of Virginia and Tennessee and Kentucky. And when the word finally got to Lexington, Kentucky, it was quite a while later, like weeks later, those people in the hunting camp in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, named the place Lexington. And it's still Lexington, Kentucky today. But they named their hunting camp Lexington because of what happened at Lexington Green. It's a powerful thing, freedom and liberty. Reverend William Emerson of Concord took off on a horse, and he had matters of great importance. And he would drop his horse off at a farm and tell him where, tell him where they got the horse, and they'd give him a fresh horse, and he'd go further. And these farmers got the horses back where they belonged. And uh, one guy took off from Concord and rode to, rode to Worcester, Massachusetts, and the horse died, just collapsed and died of a heart attack or something. He just rode the horse to death because getting the word out was so important. Reverend Emerson uh made it down through Connecticut west as far as the Hudson River, up the Hudson River, and headed east back to Massachusetts, mostly over horse trails. There were no wagon roads through some of that country at the time. Coming up out of the Hudson Valley, down into Connecticut Valley, and then back to back to Concord eventually. Reverend Emerson spread the word about liberty. I quoted scripture about that last week. But we, uh, he spread the word because the Lord wants us to be free. He wants us to have liberty. And he also said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. So I mean, you have to live in the society where you, where you are. And uh, after the Civil War, Thousands of people from the South moved to Brazil. They did not want to live under the tyranny that was coming from the North. And they moved, they left. They went to Brazil. And they have a festival this every year, this, this time of year. And they fly Confederate flags in Brazil. They're Brazilians, but they're part of their heritage. And they remember freedom. And they keep keep the flame alive. 
I just learned that this week. I did not know that we had had so many people leave the South and emigrate to other countries. It's not in the history books. Don't tell about that. A lot of things in our history that they don't tell about. But Project Appleseed tells about it. And a gentleman who listened to our radio show last week wants us to come down to the Augusta area and put on a Liberty Seat. My wife is a Liberty Seed coordinator in Maine. I haven't had time to tell her. <laughs> She's probably listening to me right now. But we're going to do that. We're going down to Augusta and spread the word. And then we're going to Monmouth. Monmouth is only 12 miles from Augusta. It's out on Route, uh, Route 202. And we'll have an apple seed there, which is the, the full shot. It's a two-day thing. We teach history, we teach marksmanship, we teach the love of liberty, personal responsibility. And people can, we don't talk about any politicians except those that were alive on April 19, 1775. We, we uh, let people draw their own conclusions. But when you tell what happened back then about taxation without representation and about limiting people's freedom to move out into the back country. Well, guess what? People don't want us to move out into the back country in the state of Maine, not even if you were born here. If you were born here and left, come back, and you want to buy 80 acres out somewhere and build a home and, and do some farming, cut a little wood, they don't want you to do that. They call it sprawl. Sprawl is a bad thing. Well, when you've got a family and the family grows, it's not a bad thing, except the progressives. I went to a hearing down in Augusta at the Elks Club. They got a great big double life-size elk out in the front lawn there, huge bronze statue of an elk. Great big meeting hall, biggest one down in Augusta. And when they're going to have a, a hearing down there, if you, uh, you know, you've got plenty of plenty of space, and I testified at that hearing. But they had they had bumper stickers on all the Priuses and all the Volvos down there in the parking lot, and said "Don't breed." Well, I thought they were talking about you know limiting the number of of unwanted puppies in the world and kittens. That's not what they're talking about. When they say don't breed, they're talking about people not having children. And they tell what they want. The collective needs of non-human species must take precedence over the needs and desires of humans. This is Dr. Reed Noss of the Wildlands Project. And they tell us what they want. Christianity is our foe. If animal rights is to, is to succeed, we must destroy the, the Judeo-Christian religious tradition. Peter Singer, father of animal rights. And they go on, you know. Maurice Strong was the head of the 1992 Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, which came out with Agenda 21. I've got the book. And Maurice Strong said, isn't the only hope for the planet that the industrialized civilizations collapse? 
Isn't it our responsibility to bring that about? Maurice Strong, head of the 1992 Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. That's what these people want. They tell us what they want. Down there in Augusta, they're trying. They're advocating for the main house to call for a constitutional convention. They want a Maurice Strong and George Soros wants to tear up our constitution and start over with the North American Union or a Union of the Americas, which would merge all of our countries together with the same currency and the same labor laws and the same rules, environmental rules. And we would become a people of serfs, the next thing to slaves. And there are people in Maine advocating for this right now. Right now. In Augusta. And they're trying to pass a resolution calling for this. And they've got enough left-wing wackos in the House of Representatives that they might pass this. They don't have to send it to the governor for signature. It will not be law. It will simply be a proclamation or a sentiment by the main house saying, we want this. And you got some real strong, dedicated activists that have been hired by George Soros in Maine to promote this. And some people say, well, gee, you know, we've got to do something. We've got to strengthen the Second Amendment. Well, we've got to strengthen the Bill of Rights because people are, are constant, you know, working hard against the Bill of Rights and against our Constitution. We've got to strengthen the Constitution, so this ought to be a good thing. We can, we can fix up the Constitution and make it better. No. It is hugely dangerous. If we let this cat out of the bag, they can do exactly what George Soros and... Michael Bloomberg and Maurice Strong and all of the billionaire progressives in the world are just hoping that they can destroy our country. The last refuge of freedom. That's what they want. It is 10 o'clock, straight up. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network. The Conscious of Maine. By the way, real quickie, my daughter-in-law got back with the students from Macaulay from Tanzania, Africa. What an adventure. And I'll mention that in further detail later. But this has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, The Conscious of Maine, broadcast today in Maine on WXME 780, Haven Monticello, WBCQ 94.7 in Monticello and all the way down to Danforth. 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer and Bangor, Maine. You're hearing this on Saturday, May 2nd, 2015. That water is cold, people. Be careful and stay out of it. God bless. Wise men follow him, they rose again. Wise men follow him, thank God for the renegades and the lives they lead. Oh, the hell. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.